Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. All right, welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm Patrick Beeman, your host. I am a board-certified OBGYN, and I am the founder of this platform and host, or rather probably co-host, of the annual Study Smarter series for the USMLE Step 1. Uh, this is our fifth annual series, and in this episode today, a uh, lot of information packed in here. It's kind of a walkthrough and guide for what Inside the Boards is doing to help you study on the go during your dedicated prep time. And I am proud, happy, and excited to be joined by and introduce you to our newest host of the Study Smarter series, uh, med student extraordinaire, <laughs> uh, Sephora Sitar. So, Sephora, thank you so much for taking the time and contributing some of your limited time to helping your fellow students study for exams and joining me uh, to make these podcasts a little uh, less monotonous <laughs> by just having my voice on here. Thank you so much for the opportunity, honestly. I think this is a great opportunity for me to keep reviewing my material and also give back to our society. Absolutely. And really, that is kind of the point of why I started ITB and I think why the people like you who get involved do this is um, we're trying to support our, our community, give back to our community. Um, and honestly, it is part of the Hippocratic Oath. I should almost read it, but basically the idea is that, number one, uh, you will hold the teacher of the art of medicine in you know, esteem and share your own money with them if they are in need times have changed a little bit, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> what, what is enjoined upon the teacher of the art of medicine is to freely, freely hand it on to those who want to learn it. So there are certain aspects of modern medicine that are just all jacked up uh, <laughs> as far as uh, its departure from uh, Hippocrates' original 
uh, kind of conception. But at any rate, to uh, leave that digression. All right, so we've got uh, a few things to cover in today's episode. So uh, briefly, for those of you who are first years or just wondering, what is step one? We're going to cover kind of the format and um, some basic overview stuff of step one. So if you're familiar with how long the test is and practical things like that, you can probably skip ahead a couple minutes. Next, we're going to talk about this year's Study Smarter plan, our weekly uh, kind of breakdown of subjects. I'm going to explain in detail uh, kind of the options that we have within the Inside the Boards platform to help you study on the go. And then uh, kind of just get some advice, I think, from uh, Sephora about the whole step one process, kind of updates. Uh, each year we try to update the perspective of somebody who's taken it uh, more recently than, than I have. Uh, so I think that's pretty much what we're, we're planning to cover, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And we will have a question breakdown at some point during this episode. So you never know when it's going to be. So. so first up is the USMLE Step 1 exam. The, uh, I guess, feared monster of the end of your preclinical undergraduate medical education. It shouldn't be like that. And hopefully it's not like that as much anymore with it becoming pass fail. You know, when you're beginning medical school, that's the first thing you're kind of told, you know, study for the boards. Uh, Step one is like the scariest thing uh, they talk to you about. Uh, So I feel like it's kind of drilled into our heads, like step one, it's going to be the most difficult, the most, uh, you know, uh, grueling exam you're going to take. It's going to define where you're going to be in life. So it puts a lot of pressure on, uh, you know, you and also with time coming up to it, you feel more and more anxiety. So I feel like this is a great uh, time to talk about it right now. So hopefully the first years are listening in. Yeah. And for those of you who are first or second years, I would say, remember this, uh, it doesn't really define you as a person, which I mean, that sounds like really obvious, but probably something you need to remind yourself. I have probably, I don't, maybe not never, but in the context of practicing medicine, never once talked about step one to a, a colleague uh, who, who um, wasn't attending, uh, except in relation to like, I don't know, uh, talking about inside the boards or something. But if I were just like a a standard doctor who could just do one thing and simplify his life, <laughs> uh, step one would never come up. And in fact, some of the best physicians I know, some of the best teachers I had uh, did uh, end up uh, failing step one and uh, ended up retaking it. Uh, so that is, you know, just some perspective. Um, you'll hear in our platform, actually, I've, I've been careful to explain inside the board's mission as helping people reach their goal on the exam rather than this sort of like crush the exam because some people will crush the exam somebody's going to crush the exam but not everyone can crush the exam uh, but everyone can go in there more confident less anxious and uh, use it as a way of the study period of synthesizing all of their preclinical knowledge mm-hmm. in preparation for the the wards and clinical undergraduate medical education, third year, fourth year, um, and 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 put it to work for them and their development as a future doctor. 
So perspective is, is important. All right, but first up, I totally forgot to uh, introduce the listeners to you and get a little bit about your background. So, <laughs> Sephora, who are you? Why, why are you uh, joining up with ITB? Well, I am a third-year medical student at St. George's University. Um, it's actually where I met my husband, so that's something that came out of it as well. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, so I, you know, I'm definitely a Florida girl. I love sunshine, and um, you know, I'm surrounded by family here, so this is a really important part of my life. Honestly, I have to say, I have my parents and family to thank for where I am today. My mom, she's always been my comfort. She's so loving and optimistic. And my dad, I mean, he's super stern and like strict, but you know, you grow up and you realize why they are the way they are. And there's this incident that I can never forget that happened. Um, I think at the start of medical school, I was in Grenada and they came to visit me for, I think the white coat ceremony. And I still needed to get my dorm room set up. So I think that was still like orientation week and stuff, but basically we went to the store, which had all the household appliances and things like that. And um, I got an email saying that I missed some kind of orientation and I had no idea. And I was freaking out so badly because I didn't want to do anything wrong. All I remember is like, they told me, okay, just stand there, take care of what you need to. We're going to figure everything else out for you. And they did. And they got me this purple blanket. Honestly, I used to study with it all the time for all of med school so far. and. It's given me so much comfort and it always like reminds me what, of what he said that day. Yeah, he told me, you know, you're a warrior and I like raised you to face challenges and any obstacle that you face and that I shouldn't forget that. And anytime I feel nervous that I have to fight that feeling and be tough and, you know, so a little bit of his tough love and my mom's mushy love and all of my siblings and nieces and nephews really uh, just bring me a lot of comfort. Currently, I'm doing my rotations here in Miami, and I've traveled a bit for my education uh, since Grenada is where uh, the basic sciences portion is for um, SGU. And then we actually just went to the UK as well because there was some uh, postponing of my uh, step one exam. So uh, with the grades coming back a little later and things like that, I just decided, okay, I'll just go there and <laughs> take one of my rotations. Meanwhile, since I'm waiting for my scores to come back. Yeah, so I did my OB-GYN rotation in the UK and that was a really really great experience. Yeah, that is that is pretty cool to to get to see medicine practiced in in a different country, especially as, you know, somebody who, you know, lives in America and only sees American healthcare. Um I'm sure that's that's probably a priceless kind of opportunity. I know there are challenges especially cost-wise, I believe, to, to attending a, a school outside the States and in, in the Caribbean. But there are definitely, I'm sure, some benefits like the ability to take rotations elsewhere. I, on that note, I think eventually Sephora kind of wants to be able to do more to help specifically international medical graduates um, kind of navigate their own uh, med school journey. So, that is a little bit nebulous in its conception right now, but it's on the horizon, right? Exactly, yes. All right. So you, you're at St. George's, you're a third-year medical student, and you took step one uh, fairly recently, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. About how many months ago? Uh, I would say maybe four months ago. Okay. 
All right. So it's still uh, kind of fresh in your memory. It's at least uh, fresher in your memory than it is mine. It feels, yeah, it feels like a longer time, actually, now that I think about it. Everything is fuzzy. Everything is funny. COVID and pandemic. I know, right? (laughs) So you're a third year med student. You're at St. George's and you took step one four months ago. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What are your interests in particular uh, as far as future specialty goes? And then just in general, what do you like to do outside of uh, med med school? Um, I'm hoping to match in pediatrics or internal medicine um, and go on to maybe specialize in endocrinology or dermatology. These are highly, you know, difficult to get into. But to be honest, like I came into this field interested in advocating for children who've been through child abuse and sexual abuse. So pediatrics was my uh, focus uh, since I was young, actually. I just find that the job of the pediatrician is to help not only with their uh, symptoms or disorders, but also to make sure that they're living a well-rounded life and just to ensure that they're not in a harmful situation. And I I just feel like that's really, really important. And uh, a lot of the times when people don't face these situations, they might think it's not as common as it is. Unfortunately, it is a very common thing and we need to talk more about it. Uh, We need to get the stigma around abuse and those victims like away from it. You know what I mean? So we can actually have families uh, talking more openly about it. It takes patience and attention to detail to not only be able to bond with the child, but also like parents. Uh, So overall, just the whole dynamic, you know, the field itself really uh, attracts me. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting because child abuse is one of those focuses i think that are really emotionally challenging for providers uh, i did a a fourth year elective rotation in child abuse and actually the the attending who who did that rotation was one of the best in our school he actually hooded me during my graduation ceremony but that was a very eye-opening and heartbreaking and just tough rotation uh, on an emotional level. But I, I definitely learned a lot about being sensitive to, I would say, more subtle uh, signs of uh, abuse and um, kind of the, the hidden ways in which especially neglect can manifest uh, for kids. But mm-hmm. Also, babies are just super cute. They're just so yummy. They're so beautiful. I <laughs> just, you know. No, babies are legit. Uh, babies are cute. They, they, they can be, especially if uh, you don't have to take care of them uh, yourself. Oh, yeah. So that, that probably helps exactly. as far as, yeah. I have nine nieces and nephews and I enjoy, you know, spending time with them and bonding and playing with them. And then I just uh, hand them back to their parents and then they can, <laughs> they can deal with the rest. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So what do you do outside of med school and your professional interests? I have really odd hobbies. Let's go with the normal ones first. So I'm originally from Hyderabad, India. So food's like a very huge part of our culture. Um, They have like really uh, refined techniques and uh, culinary like procedures and stuff and spice blends that have a lot of depth in it. So you know, it's really, really intriguing and interesting. So as I as I grew, I thought it was like uh, really interesting, and I definitely wanted to make sure I learned it. Um, so right now, I'm in the works. You know, just trying to become a better cook, and I honestly like to try uh, foods from all different cultures, see how I can uh, you know make them and uh, give them my own spin. <laughs> Other than that, I really like hoop dancing. <laughs> 
which is like an odd thing to hear from someone who's a hijabi but <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know if you know what it is but it's basically um hula hoops yeah yeah exactly okay. so it's uh you basically use a hula hoop to um to dance i guess you can say and it's i'm basically... not a dancer i can tell you that <laughs> attending weddings is an is an awkward experience for me oh my husband feels the same but we don't really dance in front of people oh, <laughs> but that's true. it's just something that i enjoy like on my own and uh honestly it just it feels so rejuvenating and you know you use the hoop to kind of manipulate it off your body and off like you know on your body as well so it's like really interesting different techniques and stuff and interesting yeah so it keeps me kind of sane plus you just schooled me on some cultural stuff you know as a uh basic st standard issue caucasian male um there's there's a lot that uh, i enjoy learning from other people um actually i was gonna say uh you're from hyberida Hi how, how do you say it hyderabad is that uh, on the border of india and pakistan or, or near it so funny story i actually had to look this up because i was born there um but my husband knows more geography and more about my actual culture and it's like geography more than me so <laughs> i definitely made sure that i knew it um it's actually on the northern part of south india i i don't know if it's close to Pakistan, but I know Pakistan also has um, Hyderabad in it as well. They have one? Like, it's a different one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Because my, <laughs> I was going to say my, <laughs> my friend Sean, who, I don't know why I haven't had him on. He's like a genius uh, uh, psychiatry uh, researcher and uh, was chief resident at a Washington University of St. Louis when I was stationed there in the military. Uh, I know he's from, I guess, the Pakistani version of it, but um, you, you mentioned that and it's like, oh, do you know Sean? <laughs> There's so many of us. There's, <laughs> yeah. So um, the other thing I would say is, you know, Pakistan, India, Afghanistan, all these uh, different countries, they were once one. So I feel like we have a lot of similarities and who knows, maybe I do know Sean. <laughs> <laughs> feels like brown people know each other yeah. very well <laughs> um all right so all right what else about you what is um what defines you um or what do you enjoy the most what are you most proud of tell us a little bit more about yourself since hopefully you'll be joining us over the next couple of years uh, <laughs> from time to time oh definitely I, I'm invested in this. I think that uh, you've created something really incredible and it's a platform that I definitely want to contribute to uh, because it brings people together. And a lot of the times medical students feel like they're, you know, in competition to one, one another. And it's important to have that camaraderie, some, you know, communication and also to have some experience talking and <laughs> podcasting. So for sure, I'll be here. Awesome. On that note, if you want to get involved and do some podcasting or literally anything that would help teach your fellow students, you know, uh, USMLE review content through Inside the Boards, contact us via email. All right. So then let's get into the meat of the episode. Um, thank you so much for being involved, uh, for sure. And now let's talk about uh, kind of the, the stuff we exist for. All right. So the USMLE step one, uh, what is it? to return to that first year's, you know, 
uh, informing them of, of what's on the exam. So at a glance, it is an eight-hour exam. There are up to 280 single best answer or uh, sequential item set questions, 280 multiple choice items on the exam in seven test blocks. So you get an hour, uh, seven test blocks each of 60 minutes, and you get one hour during the test day of break time. Each of those hour blocks has 40 items per block. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's pretty much an overview of, of the exam's format itself. Did I say anything wrong? Or No, I think that's right. And what is covered on step one? So the USMLE content outline uh, breaks this down into systems and processes you need to know. And uh, within systems, there's like, you know, about a third of the exam is general kind of stuff. And then about two thirds of the exam is related to individual organ systems. So you can expect, you know, a third of the questions to cover things that touch on multiple specialties, uh, like, uh, you know, pharmacology principles, like uh, uh, zero order kinetics, say. That's definitely there for sure. Something not to miss out. Yeah, for yeah, definitely. Uh, pharmaco, uh, pharmaco dynamics and mm-hmm. pharmacokinetics are uh, going to fall into that. Uh, and then individual organ systems. I'm sure you guys all know. Uh, you know, skin, connective tissue, respiratory system, renal, reproductive, etc. Um, and then the the processes. Uh, that you have to understand in relation to the systems that are covered are uh, about a third. Uh, they're going to test you on the normal structure and function, and about a third uh, or more on abnormal uh, stuff. About 10-15% uh, or a tenth of it, uh, kind of principles of therapeutics, and more and more and new. About 10% or a little bit more for step one goes to the psychosocial, cultural, occupational, and uh, environmental uh, considerations. So those sorts of questions or um, processes are especially relevant to uh, one of the unique topics that are covered in uh, step one related to health system science. So Mm -hmm. all of those things you could say are basically health system science. Uh, And uh, just FYI. I'm glad we have a great series to cover that. There you go. Plug for the series. So with the, I don't know when um, you will be listening to this, but uh, we did a series on health system science with the American Medical Association, Elsevier, and um, covered about eight episodes related to health system science specifically. Um, so check that out. It's in our app and it's on the main ITB podcast channel. All right. So format of the questions, there are sequential item sets, which are basically like vignettes attached to uh, multiple particular interrogatives or uh, questions that, that have, you know, multiple answer choices. And then everybody's favorite and most commonly the single one best answer question the single best answer question and that's the one you're going to see the most so i'm glad we talk about that here more often yeah and that's i I mean that's pretty much i think what we do uh when we break down questions here on the inside the boards podcast 
So on the note of single best answer questions, let's do one. All right. So this question comes from Amboss. And thanks to Amboss for allowing us to use this content and for providing questions for our upcoming or perhaps already released, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, Addiction 101 series for medical students. We've got a whole other series on the main ITV channel related to uh, addiction medicine and the uh, disease of addiction. So be on the lookout for that or check it out if it's already out by the time you listen to this. Um, but here we are. We have uh, this question. I, I'll have you read uh, through the vignette here and you can just kind of uh, walk us through this and treat me like, a, like I'm the learner. You want to do it that way? Uh, sure. First off, whenever reading a question, you want to read the interrogative first. So in this question, it says, the most appropriate next step in the treatment is the administration of which of the following? Now I'm going to read the question stem to you. A 24-year-old graduate student is brought to the emergency department by her boyfriend because of chest pain that started 90 minutes ago. Her boyfriend says that she's been taking a medication to help her study for an important exam, and she hasn't slept for several days. On examination, she's diaphoretic, agitated, and attempts to move her IV lines and ECG leads. Her temperature is 37.6 Celsius, which is 99.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Pulse is elevated. Blood pressure is also elevated. Her pupils are dilated. The most appropriate next step in treatment is the administration of which of the following? A. Dantrolene. B. Propranolol. C. Activated charcoal. D. Ketamine. E. Lorazepam. So what do you think, Patrick? Walk us through it. Well, first up, when approaching questions, um, I think it's great to have that sort of system where you do read the interrogatory first. I try to remember to do that on the podcast. Um, some people will read the interrogative, then read the answer choices so they know what to look for when they go back and read the STEM. But I will tell you this, for the National Board of Medical Examiners, one of the things that makes a good question, a legit question that tests knowledge and can be included on the USMLE is basically the cover the answers test. You have to be able to provide a correct answer based on the vignette and the interrogative, right? Yes, definitely. So the answer choices might not have the uh, answer that you provide, um, but you, you should, knowing that, Knowing that fact, um, I think, kind of cover the answers, at least in your head, and try to come up with some uh, response prior to looking at the uh, answer choices. That's me. I'm, if I see an answer choice and I don't have one in my head, I will kind of go back and forth sometimes. Um, but one of the ways to build your confidence would be to be like, you know, here's the answer I have. And then if you go to the answer choices and it's not listed there, probably still your brain or, uh, you know, your mind has done something that will hopefully help the correct answer choice pop out or prevent you from, you know, spending, you know, five minutes on one question going back and forth between two answers. Because, you know, you, you only have what, like, I guess, roughly a minute and a half 
uh, or so for each of these questions? Yeah, that's definitely a useful technique because it'll help you uh, cross out any answer choices that are definitely, um, you know, not having anything to do with your diagnosis or the choice that you came up with. Yep. All right. So read the interrogative, read the stem, try to come up with an answer, then look at the answer choices. And we had dantrolene, B was propranolol, C was activated charcoal, D was ketamine, and E was lorazepam. Uh, so all that in mind, now I'm going to go back to the stem and look for the um, kind of most important info. So uh, I think what stands out here is the comment that the patient is taking a medication to help her study for an important exam. So that's kind of a dead ringer for an amphetamine. Yeah, so that that's probably the most important thing that gives away this uh, uh, answer here. And, you know, some more evidence to support the likelihood of it being an amphetamine is she hasn't slept in several days, um, too much amphetamine. Uh, you know, can cause insomnia. Exactly. Um, too much amphetamine can also cause diaphoresis, agitation, elevated temperature, tachycardia, and uh, hypertension. And it will also uh, dilate pupils. So we've got this 24-year-old grad student taking a medication with um, some increased blood pressure, increased temperature. She's sweaty, agitated, hasn't slept. So what's the most appropriate treatment? Really then, I like to reformulate, in my mind at least, the interrogative itself. So really this question is the most appropriate next step in treating amphetamine intoxication or amphetamine overdose um, is the administration of which the following. Now, you might not be familiar uh, with amphetamine overdose or intoxication. Um, because there isn't maybe a, a section in the review book you're using that says um, amphetamine overdose is treated with X, Y, or Z, like there are things that say benzodiazepine overdose is treated with flumazenil, or opiate overdose is treated with naloxone. But when you go to the answer choices, this is where clinical reasoning comes in. You got A is dantrolene. I don't know anything about treating amphetamine overdose, and I don't think you can really reverse it, so you're probably pretty much treating the vitals, derangements, you can think in one sense. And I know dantrolene is used to treat neuroleptic malignant syndrome, so I probably would cross that one out if I were taking this exam. Propranolol? Uh, propranolol would be a tempting answer. Uh, I think that this one I'm going to hold on to because her pulse is 128 and her blood pressure is elevated. So I feel like if I give her a beta blocker, those things are going to improve. And C was activated charcoal. I think that that is mostly used in an acute setting for people who have taken, you know, some sort of uh, uh, toxin uh, within, uh, you know, uh, hours. And it's not something they've been taking for days. And then ketamine was choice D. Ketamine, or special K, as it's called on the street, is something used in anesthesia. It's also a drug of abuse. But honestly, I don't know that it would be not used here. I'm trying to think. I, I can't imagine you'd give ketamine for a amphetamine overdose because I guess that, to me, ketamine is, is used in 
anesthesia, so it's a big gun, or it is used, actually it is used, I think, kind of as a third-line depression treatment now too, but... Oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's becoming more uh, uh, favored, but I'd probably throw that out just because, honestly, I don't know why I would throw that one out, um, but I would throw it out because uh, it just doesn't feel right. I know that's not helpful for you guys learning, but uh, that's how I'd be taking this exam. Well, you do have to trust your instincts too. Right. You know, you know what you know. And sometimes if your um, mind is telling you something, you you need to listen to it. <laughs> you know that. And thank you for saying that. Because I mean, that is true. Like if if it doesn't feel right, I, I don't necessarily have to have a reason to rule out each of the incorrect answers so much as I have mm -hmm. to have a reason to choose an answer that I think is most correct. And for, uh, for me, that's going to be E, which was the benzodiazepine lorazepam. So you're right. Good job. <laughs> I mean, of course, I expected you to know. <laughs> you did great. Yes, especially because uh, I have reviewed these questions before. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But let's return to the answer choices, the other ones besides lorazepam and discuss these. And I will let you do that, Sephora. Okay, sounds good. So, you know, you did all the right things. You first uh, looked at the question stem. Uh, you went through her symptoms and kind of uh, figured out what's important and what's not. Uh, you looked at the setting, which is very important. You know, she's studying for her important exam, and she hasn't slept for several days. Uh, and then also, we just need to figure out what's happening with her. And all of her symptoms kind of delineate to that. So first off, I'm just going to go through each of the different drugs that we spoke about, starting off with lorazepam, since that's the right answer. And the format I'm going to say it in is going to be the mode of action, clinical use, and any adverse effects that are, you know, important. So for lorazepam, this is going to facilitate GABA-A action. And the way it does that is by increasing the frequency of the chloride channel opening. And not to confuse that with barbiturates, because a lot of times when I was in my first second year, I couldn't get barbs and um, benzos correct, because they still facilitate GABA action but one is increasing the frequency and the other is the duration. So benzodiazepines think frenzodiazepine. So that's increasing the frequency of the chloride channel opening. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Well, it's from first aid. I actually thought of it on my own and then I looked into first aid and I was like, damn, it's already there. Could have got a $20 <laughs> Amazon gift card. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, but I guess not. <laughs> great minds think alike. <laughs> Thank you. But sorry, I interrupted you. No Frenzodiazepine, frequency. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the clinical use of lorazepam are many, honestly. So anxiety, panic attacks, uh, status epilepticus, eclampsia. Uh, and in this question, obviously, it's detoxification. And sometimes, you know, the same thing Patrick was talking about in our review books, it might not say it that way. It might not say amphetamine, sorry, stimulant treatment, amphetamine overdose treatment. So it's important to realize that, okay, this is still detoxification, that it's helping. Yeah, you know, I think that this, I think the reason lorazepam 2 is the correct answer here. Um, and the, these are these most step one relevant. And that's, that's what we want. This, the step one relevant things you should know. Definitely can't list them all here for lorazepam. 
Um, but I like to mention what I call tangential essentials. So anytime some topic pops up that has a notable association with it, um, it's helpful to reinforce it, uh, that fact, even if it's not directly what you're studying or what the question's dealing with. So uh, here's one, lorazepam. Lorazepam is one of those benzodiazepines that is um, uh, processed outside the liver. So, right, so OTL outside the liver. So oxazepam, temazepam, and uh, uh, lorazepam. Yeah, oxazepam, tenazepam, and lorazepam are all metabolized outside the liver. So, and what does that mean for us clinically? I think the, the, the most common way you would probably see that tested would be like somebody in a vignette has significant alcoholic cirrhosis and needs to um, be treated for alcohol withdrawal, which, you know, you give a benzo for it to help prevent the life-threatening seizures and other effects of alcohol withdrawal. Um, but the, I believe the drug of choice is chlorodiazepoxide, a long-acting benzodiazepine uh, for alcohol withdrawal, but uh, other alternatives are another longer, longer-ish acting benzo like lorazepam. So if I were on an exam and I got a patient who is withdrawing from alcohol and has significant cirrhosis or perhaps even on an exam, if they mentioned like a, an acute hepatitis type picture, um, then I would pick not chlorodiazepoxide, but rather lorazepam if I can show the patient has some compromised liver function. Um, so I think that's how that would kind of uh, show up. But yeah, with this one, uh, I just feel like it's, it is going to do what uh, benzos do. All right, so that's the correct answer. Let's look at the incorrect ones. So uh, we have dantrolene. That was the first one that we named. Dantrolene is a ryanothene receptor antagonist, and it prevents uh, the release of calcium from the sarcoplasmic reticulum of skeletal muscle. So what it's used for is, like you rightly said, neuroleptic malignant syndrome um, and also uh, malignant hyperthermia. But in these patients, the fever actually would be extremely high. Uh, unlike this patient, we said it was like mildly elevated. Uh, going on to the next answer choice, propanolol. What do you think about this? So I would, uh, just to remember that uh, NMS and malignant hyperthermia thing, in both of those, you get um, muscle... Uh, spasticity, maybe? Yes, thank you. You get muscle spasticity. And you mentioned the mode of action, reminding me uh, that it prevents the release of um, calcium from the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which is necessary for what stimulation of the neuromuscular junction to yeah, I mean calcium is really important for all those things, so I think you explained it really well. If you want to just add that in, I think that'd be good. yeah, so I, I think like with that being said, like I would remember these the dantrolene's mechanism. Um, and by just literally attaching it to that one sign um, that you see in uh, malignant hyperthermia or neuroleptic malignant syndrome. So, all right, what about propranolol? And actually, as we went through this, I was like, wait, I know why we wouldn't give propranolol 
And it's the same reason we yes. wouldn't give uh, a beta blocker for somebody who's uh, cocaine intoxicated, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly, you're right. Uh, propanolol actually is a non-selective beta blocker. So it's going to work on beta 1 and beta 2. So I'm actually going to use this as a segue to just review the different receptors. I think it's important to remember them and to know why they do the things they do. So beta 1 is uh, contractility of the heart and increasing heart rate and renin. And your beta 2 is decreasing uterine tone, vasodilation, and also bronchodilation. The clinical uses for propanolol are hypertension or in hyperthyroidism where they're having like a thyroid storm uh, and other things like essential tremor or, you know, prophylaxis for uh, migraine. Uh, it could also be used for variceal uh, bleeding. And I think we were talking about another uh, liver condition before, but in this way, basically the way it works is that it decreases the portal hypertension and also decreases the hepatic venous uh, pressure gradient. So that's a little bit about it. Um, and do you want to tell us why it is contraindicated in this patient? Yeah, this one's uh, simple. Um, the hypertension is mediated by alpha-1 receptor stimulation with uh, amphetamine. And if you give um, a beta blocker, you will have unopposed alpha-1 stimulation, which could lead to a, a um, greater vasoconstriction and uh, worsen the elevated blood pressure. Exactly. Unopposed alpha stimulation is a no-no. So don't give beta blockers to <laughs> patients with amphetamine or cocaine overdose. Mm -hmm. And actually, I want to mention here just another one of those tangential essentials to throw out there. In pheochromocytoma, you don't want to give a beta blocker as well, because the um, hyperautonomia, the symp sympathetic stimulation that occurs with that, um, can lead to a kind of analogous um, pharmacologic situation within the body. Uh, so if you give a straight up uh, beta blocker in pheochromocytoma, you will have the unopposed alpha and lead to a hypertensive crisis. Um, in, in a similar mechanism as here. So remember, with pheochromocytoma, alpha block first, then beta. But that's easy to remember because A comes before B. It's a great way to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Anything else with uh, propranolol to note about? I think we said the most important things. All right. So C was activated charcoal. I think we can just kind of skip over that because of the point uh, made earlier about, you know, that being effective for acute ingestion within hours and patients have been taking it for days. Um, you got anything to note about ketamine? Yes. So uh, ketamine is an NMD receptor antagonist. The thing that I want you guys to remember for this is that it's contraindicated with patients who have hypertension and tachycardia. And in this patient, this patient already is on, you know, amphetamine overdose. So their BP is up, you know, their heart rate is up. So you don't want to give them ketamine um, and increases their, uh, you know, heart rate even more. Interesting. I don't know if I knew that, ever knew that, um, or would have thought about that. Um, maybe I did at one point, but um, thanks. So <laughs> ketamine, contraindicated in, uh, say that, I guess, one more time succinctly for me. Okay. So uh, ketamine is contraindicated in patients with hypertension and tachycardia. Wow. That's pretty simple. 
All right. Well, that's all the answer choices, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. So that was probably a little bit longer of a question breakdown, uh, but hopefully it provided you some useful info. Don't forget, we are going to do that addiction series using some Amboss questions like this one. Go check out Amboss um, and know that the entirety, let's talk about the Study Smarter series for step one, the entirety of this series and actually this podcast channel is about breaking down USMLE questions like this so that you have something you can take with you uh, from the episode and uh, carry with you to the exam center on test day, which is how I like to put it. So, all right, what options then do we have for, uh, or what is our series plan? So it's pretty simple. We're going to try to follow the USMLE content outline um, as as closely as we can. Um, We will be doing a handful of episodes that are uh, weekly going to change subjects. Uh, So we'll be doing, you know, basically biochem, immuno, Uh, MSK, dermatology stuff, anatomy, repro, behavioral, neuro, renal, endocrine, palm, cardiology, GI, hematology stuff. You know, this is our longest series and we always do this. Let's see how, how to put it. This is always done in near real time. So we produce these episodes like, and we plan to always release like, at least like three a week related to whatever the topic is each week. And um, that, that is the goal. We may actually do more and we may actually do less because some of it also depends on me and uh, my availability uh, and those who are involved in the platform to put together uh, questions and content for this. But the plan is roughly three episodes per week and we're going to have a couple different episode formats um, but all of them uh, will have components of question breakdowns all right so uh, one will be pretty much either solo or interview style kind of two people breaking down questions um, each week we will have sephora handling a physio micro and farm mini episode uh, related to that week's topic. Which I'm very, very excited for, honestly, because a micro and farm comes up everywhere. Yeah, those are two things that touch like, yeah, if you can get those down pat, like that's probably like a third or half the exam, you know, mm-hmm. uh, probably not that much, but but still it is it is huge to understand. Exactly. You're going to see, uh, you know, medication in every question, basically. Uh, or some kind of bug here and there, you know, like, so it's, it's, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable when you know your stuff. Yep. All right. So then I'm going to talk about what options we have to help you study. One episode is going to be physio sponsored. We're going to take physio questions and uh, discuss something micro, something farm uh, for those episodes. On that note, one of the things that ITB has to help you study for step one is the Physiology by Physio podcast. The Physiology by Physio podcast is exactly what it sounds like. It's a high-yield physiology review that you can listen to, like, and it's pretty audio-optimized, despite, you know, physiology being a very, um, or can be a very visual subject, but um, as best we can, uh, Greg Rodden, who's now a pediatrics resident, uh, did a phenomenal job breaking down physiology topics. 
Um, but Physio also, uh, along with us, has the USMLE Step 1 Success Stories. That is a pretty decent podcast that uh, Rhett and Michael from Physio kind of just interview people who have something valuable to say about how they achieve their own goals on the USMLE Step 1. So as you're planning and refining your test-taking schedule or strategy, USMLE Step 1 success stories uh, can be helpful uh, for you as well. And this is important. We have our All Audio QBank app. So if you search your app store for Audio QBank or Inside the Boards, you'll find, or just go to our website, insidetheboards.com, you can get all of the archives of past Step 1 Study Smarter series for free within our app. And there are, um, I don't know, there's probably like 50 or 60 episodes of free content related to question breakdown. So go download our app. And, you know, if you want to help support the platform and get access to our all audio QBank, which is just like what it sounds like straight up uh, questions in an audio format, um, not so much a detailed breakdown, but more like you're used to seeing on like UWorld or other question banks, vignette, answer choices, explanation of the correct answer, and usually the uh, most attractive distractor. Um, so you can study on the go. And I hope that we will have our audio flashcards. Um, our on King audio flashcards is, is what we're doing. Um, I submitted with Chris, our um, creative director, a changelog to the developers, and they are presently working on putting the audio flashcards as part of our premium subscription. Also within our app is going to be some partner content. So we have found some educators who have uh, partnered with us. And the first up is Cognitionis, like cognition, uh, and then add an IS. So this is a YouTube channel that produces high yield reviews of step one content and, and other you know, meta content. Um, but he's agreed to let us turn some of those videos into audio works. So we are presently uh, editing some of those uh, that, that are amenable to audio. Um, and you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard those before um, my step one exam and also I, some of the ITB uh, podcasts because the way they're made, you know, they're very easy to listen to and they pretty much just get stuck in your brain. And when the question comes up, you think about it and you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I knew that. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited about that one too because uh, it, it gives us more content and um, he does a great job just like breaking down concepts mm -hmm. and does deal with uh, a lot of uh, questions too. So uh, we'll probably throw a few of those on our uh, uh, like series, uh, a few example episodes, but you're going to be able to find more within the uh, Audio QBank uh, by Inside the Boards app. Uh, as well. And that will be free. Those will be free. Um, and then we have another partner who has a YouTube channel called Quick Steps. And this is a, a an up and coming channel uh, produced by a um, third year medical student. And uh, he's got a playlist of, I think, almost 10 subjects uh, that are just question breakdowns uh, for step one. Uh, so we'll be putting those into our app and probably an example on the podcast here as well at some point. 
And what else do we have for step one? So uh, we also have the Crush Step One podcast. So the Crush Step One podcast is an audio version, um, mostly optimized for audio consumption, a version of the Crush Step One uh, review book by ITB's chief content officer, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Uh, so you can get uh, all of that in our app or anywhere you search podcast. That's, yeah, that's, that's the bulk of what we have for step one. So just in review, um, you can get all of this in our mobile app. Um, if most of it is free, uh, and if you do sign up for a premium subscription and get access to the audio cue bank and audio flashcards um, and a question dissections product, uh, product, I guess you could call it, will be coming out soon. That's just going to be like even more long form question dissections with me and other people in our uh, platform, like Dr. O'Connell, um, like some of our um, podcast partners, uh, et cetera. So, but everything is available within the app. And uh, I would say this, if you do want to sign up for a premium subscription, the website is the cheapest place to do so. And actually now, uh, if you have if you make a subscription that's longer than 90 days you're able to pick the date that you want to stop having access to the premium stuff and the reason we did this was to ensure that you didn't you know have eight months to study for an exam um, and have to buy you know three subscriptions of three months long at like a lot of platforms you have to or a full year i don't know if it's that helpful but you know at least hey we're trying to make it uh, affordable for you guys. I think it's definitely helpful. <laughs> I, mean, I had to make it 90 days. Just it is complicated to like figure out like how to price this stuff. Um, so it's fair and it also can pay <laughs> Chris and Maddie. Well, you know, you are working as an ob You have four kids. You have like your own life to tend to. And then you're also dealing with this whole like, you know, ITV project for um, several years now, right? Yes. So I think you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, you know, it's tough to work for free, but, you know, someday, you know, if you guys want to help me build that college fund, Maybe someday <laughs> ITB can uh, pay Dr. Beeman. That would be nice. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, our website's the cheapest place to get uh, the premium audio QBank subscription. And finally, just to review, what do we have for step one? We have uh, four podcasts. Uh, the podcast you're listening to now, the Study Smarter. We have Crush Step One, the podcast, and Physiology by Physio and Physiology or Physio's step one success stories. All of those are available wherever you listen to podcasts, but everything is available in our app, uh, including those. And within our app as well, you will find additional meted content from our partners, uh, question breakdowns and um, high yield, essentially high yield uh, topic breakdowns from Cognitionis and Quick Steps, as well as uh, archives of our past USMLE Step 1 Study Smarter series. So all of that stuff is free. And then the premium features from ITB we offer are all audio QBank and the question dissections product, which is still probably a month out from the release of this episode. So I think that's it. 
hopefully what we do is helpful for you and good luck on uh, your exams uh, as, as you enter this dedicated period or you're already in it. Uh, good luck. Join us for the uh, Study Smarter series and please tell your friends about this. Um, it really helps us, you know, get the word out the more people who listen. And if, if you really, really want to help us out, you can leave a review and a rating of the show on um, Apple Podcasts. That actually really boosts our rankings and uh, helps us get the word out. So that's much appreciated. And stay tuned as well to our website and our social media uh, at Inside the Boards on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm at Boards Insider on Twitter. We also have a subreddit. Yeah, so we have social media channels that we try to maintain, but I think we're probably going to be joining or helping facilitate a kind of step one small group um, support group um, on Clubhouse, but more to come on that. So watch our social media and listen to the end, listen to the whole episodes uh, of this series. And Sephora, thank you so much for taking your time and uh, we'll see you back for Farm and uh, Micro here like in a couple days. Yeah, I'll definitely be here. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great experience. Absolutely. Absolutely.